Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. The current series, Jesus at the Center of Prayer, will be continued in this episode with a sermon titled, Praise. The focus of the series is the Lord's Prayer, which is recorded in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. In it, Jesus instructs his followers on the appropriate way to praise our Heavenly Father. Here's today's message with Senior Pastor Brian Jones. Amen, amen. Hey, would you join me in just thanking the worship team for leading us so faithfully every single week? Well, welcome, welcome. If you are new with us, we are in week two of a series uh, we're just calling Jesus at the Center of Prayer. And uh, we're talking about the fact that uh, we're walking through the Lord's Prayer and God's desire for us to have a prayer life. Uh, that looks like his. In fact, one of the things I said that during this prayer series, the whole aim is that this series would increase your confidence. Uh, it would increase your batting average that when you step up to the plate to pray, for some people it's intimidating. They don't know where to begin. They feel distracted that this series is designed to help you get some tools uh, that will uh, give you a prayer life that starts to reflect and look like Jesus. Now, a couple things that I think will be helpful. First, if you have our app, one of the things that uh, we'd love is on there, there are two simple questions on the app. One is, how do you look to grow in your prayer life? Uh, the reason that's so important is uh, I want to be able to target some resources and during this series actually speak to some of the things that you guys uh, want in there. So if you have the app at the top of that, you'll see that. Please fill that out. But also, one of the things that I really want as this series is starting is a lot of people, they feel like they're either prayer people or Bible people. And one of the things that is so important, this transformed my prayer life several years ago, is I really didn't know how to pray. Or if you told me to pray for 30 minutes, I wouldn't know how to do it. I would just find myself distracted. And so the Lord's Prayer really is a grid that when you read the Bible, for instance, this morning I read Psalms 39. It says, where is our hope? Our hope is in the Lord. I took this grid that I'm teaching you over these next several weeks, and I, and I took that verse and I filtered it through that. So the verse was on hope, and so the first thing I did was go, God, as my father, what do you want to say to me about hope? And then I took the next subject that we're talking about today, which is praise, and I just said, God, as the king of kings and lord of lords, as the mighty and powerful one, what do you want to say to me about hope? And then I listened. And so I just want to encourage you, this is going to help your endurance when it comes to prayer, that you take the things, the concepts, like last week we talked about proximity, about the nearness of God, and then you pray that through the Bible verses that you're reading and it becomes transformative. Now, again, you might be going, why seven weeks on prayer? Couldn't you have done two or three? And one of the reasons prayer is such a, a important topic, and I mentioned this last week, Jesus was the greatest preacher the world's ever known. You'll never find anybody who could do more miracles. I mean, he conquered the grave for crying out loud. You have a guy who's the best at discipleship, and yet the disciples, as far as we know, didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to do those things. They felt some level of confidence in that. But what's interesting is the disciples who were walking with Jesus saw such a correlation between Jesus' prayer life, the power that he had, the peace that he had, the potency that he had when it came to prayer. And they saw such a gap in their prayer life that in Matthew chapter 6, they in essence said, Lord, Master, Teach us to pray like you. And so we've been walking through these ingredients of what the Lord's Prayer is. Again, last week, proximity about our Father. And today, uh, the next part of this verse is on praise. 
which is about um, honoring the name of God where it says, may your name be kept holy, and you see God as mighty and powerful. In fact, this is what it says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, the, the latter part of what we talked about last week. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your name be kept holy. Now, what's interesting is this is, this is a petition or a quest. And so God is not saying, I become more holy when you pray or I become more mighty when you pray. This is a petition for you and I, for the people of God to see God as powerful. See, when you think about praise, praise doesn't remind God about who he is. He knows who he is. Praise reminds us about who God is. Because when you see God as powerful and mighty, when you petition this, you start off each morning and you have this idea of a God who is personal, he's father, but then when you see him as powerful, it starts to reorient the things you're passionate about. The, uh, King, or the NIV version says this, people are probably more familiar with this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, the word hallowed is not a word we use a lot, and for some people it just feels maybe out of touch or archaic. Uh, there's a guy I know that uh, he grew up in a Catholic church, and so for years they would recite the Lord's Prayer, and they would say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And uh, he just assumed for years that God's name was Howard. And so he just said, yeah, they would say like this, Our Father in heaven, Howard be your name. And so some people grow up, they recite the Lord's Prayer, they get weird insights like that. Maybe you've heard it. But this is more than just some stark verses we're reading or something that you recite here and there. This is the ingredients Jesus is giving to have a prayer life like his. Because if you start with praise, you start to see God for who he is. If I have a weak, feeble view of God when it comes to asking him, I'm not going to have a boldness and a confidence. So it's interesting, most people start with petitions and requests, but Jesus has you start with seeing him as powerful because he knows if you see him as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, you see God as mighty and powerful, you will have a boldness when you knock, you will have a boldness when you seek, you will have a boldness when you ask, and if you don't, you will pray timid prayers. And so in essence, when you see God as powerful, it reorients your values, it reorients your life, it reorients the way you pray. I love what R.C. Sproul says. He says this, As well might a gnat sink to drink in the ocean as a finite creature to comprehend the eternal God. A God who we could understand would be no God. If we could grasp him, he could not be infinite. If we could understand him, he could not be divine. And so again, the starting point of prayer is that you see God as powerful, but you also see him as personal. So we talk about praising, when we talk about keeping the name of God hallowed or keeping the name of God holy or seeing him as mighty, let me just give you a couple ingredients of what praise in your prayer time and worship looks like. There's a couple things I think every morning when you come to church on Sunday that when you talk about praising God, keeping his name holy, that you're doing. And the first is this, if you're gonna keep the name of God holy, you gotta praise him for who he is. You gotta praise him for who he is. Praise him for his character, his power, his strength, his characteristics. In fact, um, when I was studying the Lord's Prayer, I don't know if you ever saw this, but I found this very interesting, that if you take the Lord's Prayer, you can really break it up into two parts. Let me just show you this. First, you, you have this your part of the Lord's Prayer. You ever notice this? Your name, your kingdom, your will. 
And then you have this second section, which is really this us section. Forgive us, give us our daily bread, rescue us, don't lead us into temptation. And what's interesting is um, the first series uh, I did, I talked about the fact that the Pharisees, you remember this, were trying to trap Jesus. They had over 600 commands. And so they didn't like Jesus rocking up and teaching some things a little different. And so one day the Pharisee tried to trap Jesus and he asked this question, what is the greatest command? Again, they didn't think Jesus could answer because there were over 600 commandments. And do you remember what Jesus answers is the greatest commandment? Love your, love your, I only spoke on it for four weeks. Give me a little bit of confidence here. What was it? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others. What's so fascinating is when you look at the Lord's Prayer, what Jesus is doing is actually teaching them the greatest commandments because really these first sections, these first petitions are about loving God and the second is about loving others. And let me just free you up with this. One of the things when I was first getting into church, I struggled with. And, and if you have been sort of inconsistent or you're navigating in your relationship with God or maybe you're in a healthy place, and sometimes you just don't know what the vision or the goal of the Christian life is. Because sometimes you can come to church and it's like, hey, we want you to serve, then we want you to do this thing, then we want you to give of your resources, then if you've got time, do this event on Friday. And so sometimes if you come to church and you don't have an integrated view, you become confused on what the Christian life is all about. And let me just make this incredibly simple for you. The ball game, the goal of your life is simply this. That's what Jesus teaches us to pray, that you would love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and out of that, you would love other people. And if you love God, what's going to happen is, by default, you're going to pray. If you love God, you're going to spend time with him. I can't say I love my wife and never spend time with her. I, I can't say, you know what, I love my wife and then make her secondary. And so you don't do these things co-equal. They're all out of the overflow of a life that is seeking to love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And if you miss this, you start to get performance-oriented. You get religion-oriented where you believe your performance, however good or bad, dictates how God feels about you. And most people say, hey, I don't believe that. But the question is, if you don't follow a performance grid, why is it that when you sin, one of the last places you want to be in the presence of God? Because we've trained ourselves sometimes to think we've got to do all these things and then God loves us. It's quite the opposite. You sit in the love of God. Jesus is teaching the disciples and he's teaching you and I to wake up each and every morning before we ever do something before God, before we ever ask anything and understand that you have a father. He's a good father. But also he's a powerful father. And isn't it interesting, if I ask you this question, if I said, hey, I want you to, to think about one person you could spend time with. Most of us would pick people that are sort of powerful, but they're not accessible. You ever think about this? The two starting points of the Lord's Prayer is that the most powerful being in the entire universe and the galaxy is accessible. See, so when you start to look at prayer that way, it transforms your prayer closet. Suddenly, prayer isn't something you have to do. Prayer is something you get to do. I've got a father who's that personal and yet that powerful. And so Jesus is getting them to get their eyes on him. And if you're anything like me, what's interesting is uh, when I pray, sometimes I get the order wrong. Because Jesus' model of prayer is different than my model of prayer. See, oftentimes the way that I will pray, maybe you will pray, is this. I start with my requests, my needs, my day, my 
sort of uh, issues that I'm facing. And then I have other people that I'll pray for, people in the church that I pray for. I try to pray for a couple staff members every week, people in the small group that I'm a part of. And so I'll pray for other people. And then if I have any leftover time, I get to God. Isn't it interesting that Jesus has a completely different model? He says, don't start off with your petitions. Get your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on me. See me as close. See me as powerful. Then you pray for others. Then yourself. See, the ingredients of prayer really matter. Now, I'm going to let you into uh, something uh, a little more personal. So uh, I just need to know, is this a safe place? You're not convincing me at all. Sure. Sure. It's safe from one of you. All right. Well, I made a mistake about a couple years ago. I'm not a great cook. And so I made a mistake. Um, I was making something called Easy Mac. My wife gave me that because she figured I couldn't mess up on it. And I messed up on Easy Mac. Uh, in fact, uh, I was telling this to Kevin, who's doing sermon review, and he goes, bro, you messed up on something called Easy Mac. I'm like, not helpful at all. But here's the thing. I literally put the, uh, you know how you're supposed to drain the noodles? I just poured the sauce packet into the boiling water. And I didn't pick up on it. I bought the generic mac and cheese, and I thought, man, this stuff is really terrible. You know, <laughs> we got to spend some money on the good stuff. And my wife walks in. She's like, what are you doing? And I have never cooked since. <laughs> so you got to ask yourself, is it ignorance or is it intentionality? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. But here's the point that I make. You can get all the right ingredients when it comes to food, but anybody who's a cook... And even if you're not, you know this, you get the right ingredients in the wrong process in the wrong order, you're going to get the wrong result. And it's interesting that most people go, hey, you know what? I just got to get all the ingredients of Jesus when it comes to his prayer life. But I'm telling you this, if you get the, the right ingredients in the wrong order, you're not going to have the prayer life of Jesus. And so some people spend hours in their prayer closet and they go, what's wrong? And part of this is, is that Jesus is being very specific that we start with getting our eyes on God. Isn't it interesting? Some of you came in this morning with some real burdens, weights, some stuff that you're carrying, some stress, some worry, anxiety. First of all, I want you to know you're in the right place. God loves you. But isn't it interesting? When you get your eyes on God, when you see him as mighty and powerful, those problems don't go away. But isn't it interesting how they get right-sized? And all of a sudden you start going, yeah, my problems are big, but I got a God who's bigger. And so all of a sudden, if you see God this way, you approach him, you knock, you seek, you ask with confidence because you go, yeah, on my own I'm done, but I'm not on my own. I have the God of the universe, the mighty one, the one who's holy and powerful. And so Jesus is going, if you want a prayer life like mine, you've got to get your eyes off of yourself each morning and get your eyes on God. The truth is when it comes to prayer, you know this, I need to hear from God a lot more than God needs to hear from me, Amen. And most of the time, if you trace your prayer life, I do all the talking. God, let me just tell you, got some things for you. Don't know if while you're running the universe, you thought about this, but I just got some things that I want to bring to your attention. And then I get done and I go, great prayer session, God. And I didn't listen once. And then I wonder why I walk around with so much angst and lack of peace. But when you get your eyes on God, all of a sudden, it is like you can have all the crazy circumstances, but you, you have the peace and the life of God. You know, think about it like this. When you, when you get alone with God, you get a power of God. When you get that secret place where you're connected with God. Interesting. When does Peter, when he's walking on water, when does he sink? 
takes his eyes off God. You know, it's interesting. When you are fixed on God, in fact, what happens is for a lot of people on Sunday, you come on Sunday services, you get your eyes fixed on God, something stirs in you, but as Wednesday or Thursday rolls around, something happens. And you go, what's going on? Well, the problem is as we get busy and life happens, somewhere we get our eyes off of God, and then as our eyes get off of God, we begin to sink spiritually. That's why spending time with God each and every morning is so important in prayer because it is one of those things that gets your heart to a boiling point for Jesus. You know, the thing that a lot of people will think is that the issue is not with what our focus is, it's our circumstances. Like one of the greatest swear words in, in my life has been when. And I'll say things like this. I don't know if any of you ever do it. When this season is over, I'll be happy. When the kids stop screaming in the middle of the night, I'll be happy. And you start going, when, when, when. When my boss appreciates me, when the promotion comes, when the house gets finished, when I get the right amount of retirement, when I'm appreciated for what I do, when we work through these issues, when my kids get done with this circumstance in their life that they're facing, I'll be happy. But the problem is you just keep switching that thing to the next win. Do you know when you will be happy? And it sounds oversimplistic, but I dare you to try it for a week. You will be happy when you take what Jesus gives the disciples here and you get your eyes off of yourself and you get your eyes on God each and every morning and you watch what happens. There's something inside of you that begins to shift and it begins to change. And isn't it interesting? There are people that I know. One of the things I love doing is every couple of years I'll go to a mission trip. If you've ever been in a, a third world country, it's sobering. It's funny is people think they're going on a mission trip for the first time. You know this, Roland. But you'd think people go on a mission trip and they start thinking, oh, I'm going to go serve them. But anybody who's been on a mission trip knows that you get served way more. Because you go on the mission trip and literally there are people that I have walked in their house and it's the size of my closet. They have dirt floors. They have one or two belongings that fit in a suitcase, and their whole family's belongings could be put in a suitcase, should I say. And yet what's troubling is they have so much more joy than I've ever had. And you go, well, what's the secret? The secret is they don't focus on their circumstances. If they did, they'd be done. And what happens is they are so focused on God that they have a joy that transcends their circumstances. And so some of the people who have the worst circumstances in life, they have a joy because they have started to praise God for who he is. Their eyes are fixed on God. I want to show you a, a picture. It's a really famous picture. It's a picture that's meant a lot to me. It's called the pale blue dot. In fact, there was a, a satellite that was sent into the Milky Way galaxy, several satellites, I should say, that were sent to the Milky Way galaxy. And they were just snapping hundreds and thousands of photos. And the folks came across that were looking at the photos, they came across this photo, and it's a very famous photo. It's referred to now as the pale blue dot. But you see that little circle there? Do you know what that is? Earth. Isn't that sobering? You think about how big everything feels, and then all of a sudden you see this little speck, and that's Earth. There was a man named Carl Sagan who uh, actually was an atheist, he saw this picture and it so overwhelmed him that he actually wrote a book called The Pale Blue Dot. And I just want to read you one quote he said uh, when he wrote on this particular picture. He said, the earth is a very small stage in a, in a vast cosmic arena. Think of the endless cruelties visited by inhabitants of one corner of this pixel. But I want you to listen to what he says here. 
Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. See, I find this picture usually invokes two feelings in people and they're polar opposite. For some people whose eyes are fixed on their circumstances, it creates a feeling of insignificance because you see this and everything you came in here right now, you're thinking about your world, your stuff. And then you see a picture like that and you realize not everything revolves around us. We're just this small part of this greater story and that terrifies some people. But for other people who have their eyes fixed on God, I find it does the opposite. It doesn't create a feeling of insignificance. It creates a feeling of joy. Because if your eyes are on God and you see that and you go, if this is a representation of who God is, if God created that and the universe and the stars and the galaxies reflect his majesty and his power and yet this God calls me a son or daughter, yet this God connects with me, that's a game changer. It's a weak, feeble God. The God who creates galaxies and universes is interested in you. And this is what happens with David. Remember David, what was his job before he was king? What did he do? Shepherd. And where did shepherds sleep? In the fields with their sheep. So you imagine if you've been to Israel, some of the most beautiful stars you can see when you get out in the fields. You think of David who would lay back and see these stars. He would see the moon. And in Psalms 8, he actually pins this. Listen to what he says. When I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Isn't it interesting that an atheist sees this picture of the galaxies, the sun, the moon, the stars, and it creates an overwhelming feeling. He writes a book on it. David sees the, the moon and the stars, and it causes him to praise. He writes a psalm that creates joy. What's the difference? One has their eyes fixed on God, the other doesn't. See, praise is not about reminding God who he is. He knows who he is. It's about reminding you and I who God is each and every morning. And think about how centered and how peaceful and how much life and joy and gentleness we would have every single day if we really believe those first two things of the Lord's Prayer, that there is a good Father and that he is very powerful. So the starting point of praise is you praise God for who he is. The second, though, is this. You praise God for what he's done in your life. You praise God for what he has done in your life. Interesting enough, we all go through seasons of difficulty, and maybe you're there now. But when people walk through seasons of difficulty, you ever notice one of the things people say? People say things like, where is God? Or, God, why did you allow this to happen? And the thing that I was reflecting on is maybe you, you've thought about this. Maybe you know some people like this. But I have known people who've been on fire for Jesus. They go through some bad things, some difficulty. Uh, they, they go through a divorce. They lose a loved one. I know people who have come to the church or been a part of a church staff. They get hurt by the church. And all of a sudden, they don't just stop coming to church. It's like their whole Christian life, they start to question everything. And suddenly they're no longer following God because they went through some difficulty and then their faith became completely shipwrecked. It's interesting, you probably know people as well who go through similar things. They go through a divorce, they lose a loved one, they go through some painful job split, 
They have wounds and issues with the church. And yet those things don't derail their faith. They would actually tell you that that pain in their life caused them to grow closer to Christ. And that pain in some ways delivered them. It didn't destroy them. Two people walking through very similar circumstances. One is destroyed, one is delivered. And all of us are going to have pain in our life. So how do you make sure that your faith won't be shipwrecked? What's the key? What's the ingredient? And I just want to say this. This is a phrase. It's the third point in there. But I just want you to write this down. When you start saying daily, there you are, God, you will no longer wonder, where are you, God? So again, when you start saying daily, there you are, God, when you start saying thank you, God, you will no longer wonder in difficulty, where are you, God? And what, I'm, what I mean by this is, isn't it interesting? Whenever we go through difficult times, one of the things I believe happens is the Bible calls them the father of lies, the enemy comes in. And most of the time we don't talk about this. When people are going through a difficult time, they think it's just two people, them and God. But the Bible says there's a third one, Satan, who's really the cause of most of this stuff. And what he's trying to do is divide you. But when you start waking up every single day, because here's what's interesting if you're anything like me or people who I know who are, who are sort of questioning God. They'll say, where is God? Whenever something bad happens, but whenever something good happens, they don't give God credit. So they blame God when something goes bad, but when they get a promotion or their kids are healthy or they're healed, that was them. So I'll tell them, hey, listen, I love you, but at least be consistent. God's either in all of it or he's in none of it. And so we can't pick and choose, but the truth is all of us go through seasons where if we're honest in busyness and chaos, we don't do a good job just slowing down each day and just going, God, thank you for this. Thank you for that. But when you start doing that, what happens is you deposit into the spiritual bank account that you have th this faithfulness and this trust that when seasons of difficulty come, you have something to withdraw and you don't become spiritually bankrupt. But if you have not trained yourself in gratitude, the moment difficulty happens, you will start to ask the question, where is God? Isn't it interesting? We live in a culture that is more technology advanced than ever before. You would contend that people are more enlightened, there's more wisdom, there's more knowledge, there's more intellect than ever before. And yet, with that, we almost feel like gratitude is an elementary thing. But can I just contend to you this? Gratitude is central in the kingdom of God. Gratitude is central in the kingdom of God. And if you want the prayer life, you want the power of Jesus, it begins with gratitude. I was thinking through some of the most powerful men and women I know, spiritually speaking, and there was a common thread. All of them were people of gratitude. All of them. They would wake up each and every morning. They weren't perfect, but they would say things like, God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've done in my life. Even in difficulty seasons, they were people of gratitude. I love what John Ortberg talks about. He talks about one of his books, uh, The Reason uh, Dogs Operate with So Much Gratitude. They're just one of those. If you have a dog, how many of you have a dog? Okay, quite a few of you. If you ever watch dogs, they're, they're just, they're happy for the most part. In fact, when they get usually upset is when there's someone that they think might be threatening you. And so from this book, John Ortberg talks about dogs and he says this, it's excerpt from a dog's diary. 10.30, got rubbed and petted, my favorite thing. Noon, lunch, my favorite thing. 1 p.m., played in the yard, my favorite thing. 3 p.m., Wagged my tail, my favorite thing. 5 p.m., milk bones, my favorite thing. 7 p.m., got to play ball, my favorite thing. 
8 p.m., wow, watch TV with the people, my favorite thing. 11 p.m., sleeping on the bed, my favorite thing. You ever notice how much gratitude and joy there is with dogs and how miserable cats are? In fact, it says right here, day 983 of my captivity. My captors continue to taunt me with bizarre little dangling objects. The only thing that keeps me going is my dream of escape. Just had to throw one to the cat community. Bring on your emails. I welcome it. But gratitude is central in the kingdom of God. Gratitude is central in the kingdom of God. Interesting enough, you think about this. You ever think about when it comes to anxiety, worry, and stress, do you know what that is? That is future-oriented. So if, if you are carrying something, if you're worried, if you're stressed, if you're fearful, that is not a present emotion. That is a future emotion because you're asking questions like, what if? What if the health doesn't change? What if the finances don't get fixed? What if the problem doesn't get resolved? What if the kids don't come back to faith? What if this situation in my marriage doesn't change? What if, what if, what if? And that's why people oftentimes at night, when they struggle sleeping, your mind ruminates with all these different what if scenarios. So oftentimes people will say phrases like this, you know, the opposite of anxiety is peace. I don't believe the opposite of anxiety is peace. I believe the opposite of anxiety is gratitude. Because interesting enough, when you think about all your anxiety, it's future-oriented, but gratitude is what tethers you to the present. Gratitude is what helps you connect with God. In fact, even this week, I found myself stressed about some things. And God gave me this because it was one of those things that, you know, as I thought about all these circumstances, remember what the Bible says? Don't worry about tomorrow, for today has enough troubles of its own. You can spend all night, all week, all month, every day of your life worried about future things that you don't even know what's going to happen and you have no control of. So what do you do when your mind is ruminating on all these what-if scenarios? You get gratitude. And I'm telling you, there are times, and the hardest part is, sometimes when you're in the lowest spot, gratitude's hard. But there are times where when I've been in my darkest spots, I've just wrote in a gratitude journal. If you don't have one, get a gratitude journal. Before you go to sleep, just write five, six things down. Or you can wake up in the morning. Some people do what I've referred to as first and ten. The first thing they do is give God praise for ten things in their life when they get out of bed. They don't check their phone. They don't scroll the Internet. They don't read the news reports. They go straight to God in gratitude because they're practicing the Lord's Prayer of getting their eyes on God. But gratitude is so transformative. And there are times when I've been in dark spaces that all I can do is just write, God, thank you for this room. Thank you for air conditioning. Thank you for my kids, even though they're screaming right now. And what's funny is the more I get my eyes on those little things, the less I start thinking about all these future-oriented worries because I'm just training myself and tethering myself to the present in God. It's interesting enough, when David goes to fight Goliath, do you remember what he says? He says, the God who was with me with the bear and the lion will be with me with the giant. You think of people probably coming up to David going, hey, have you thought about this? He's nine feet tall. 
You know, people mean to help, but they give you a hundred things that spin your mind completely out of control. People are probably going up to David, hey, what's your strategy? How are you going to take on the giant? Do you, know how, do you know how much anxiety that would create in you? You know, David's strategy was this, gratitude. He fought a giant with gratitude. Because in essence, he goes, here's my whole thing. The God who is with me, with the bear and the lion, he's going to be with me with the giant. I'm telling you, the lack of peace that some people have is from one thing, a lack of gratitude. Anxiety rates are higher than they've ever been before. And I would contend to you this one thing, gratitude is lower than it's ever been before. We live in a culture of entitlement and privilege. And I'm not saying all those things are bad. I struggle with those things too. But that is deadly in your faith when you bring that in there and you don't slow down enough just to go, God, thank you. I praise you for who you are. I praise you for what you have done in my life. In fact, I love what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. It says, rejoice always, pray continually, give God thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I love what Psalms 118 says. It says, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So as we get ready to wrap up, one of the things I want to do is I'm going to show you just some of the names on the screen of God where we can praise him for who he is. And my hope is that today you'll praise him for what he's done. But I just wanted to close out our time giving us a chance to respond to who he is. And so one of the things that was on my mind this weekend is this phrase that revelation requires response. You ever think about that in the Bible? People don't respond until God's revealed something to them. So Saul's walking down this Damascus road. All of a sudden he encounters God. His name has changed. His life has changed. He responds to God. In fact, in Isaiah, there's this moment where he encounters God and then he repents and he says, woe to me, I'm undone because he's encountered God. They have this revelation of God and his power and his holiness and it causes them to respond. Can I just say one of the things I really believe God is calling our church to be is a responsive church when it comes to his word and worship. A responsive church when it comes to his, to his worship and to, to the word. And, and I was thinking about it like this. There are almost two dangers you can fall in. One is emotionalism, but the one is the other side of that, which is to be unaffected or indifferent. You can almost approach worship and the reading of God's word on Sunday as one of two things. One, emotionalism. The other is indifference. You know, if you went to a sports game with someone and they said they were a massive fan and all of a sudden you like pulled up in the parking spot and before the game ever started, they just started jumping up going, this is the best game ever. You'd be like, chill, dude. We're in the parking lot. Imagine they go from there to get the tickets and then all of a sudden they get the tickets, they start jumping up and down going, I can't believe this game. Like, bro, you're still outside. You're not even in the stadium yet. Imagine that same person goes to get some nachos. And then they get that from the, the, the person at the cash register. And they just shake him. Can you believe we're at this game? He'd be like, dude, you're not even at the game yet. You just go, this is hype and emotion. But on the flip side, imagine this moment. Imagine you go with someone. They go, I'm the greatest fan of this sports team. I'd love to go with you. You go for the first time, and you watch this person. They walk in, and they walk into this stadium, and they just have this sort of stoic look. They're sort of sizing everything up, watching everything. And then you're watching them during the game. When everyone claps, when the team does something, they just sort of stand there. They give it a nod here and there. And then there's like this Hail Mary play where the team wins, and everyone goes nuts. Everyone's jumping around. And then all of a sudden, you look at that person, and they just give you the nod like, it's a good game. 
you'd be like, tell your face that. <laughs> the reason I tell you this is this is very, very important what I'm about to tell you. When I've prayed about what kind of culture God wants us to be, I don't believe he wants us to be an emotionally driven Hypey culture where we come in on Sunday, running down the aisles, jumping up and down, singing songs, disconnected from our heart. I believe he's called us to be a church that is grounded and centered and thinks about what it is that we're singing. On the flip side, I don't believe God's called us to be a church where we say things like, well, you know what, I'm not much of a worship person. And we sort of stand there stoically as we watch what happens on the stage and we analyze the songs and how we like them. I don't think he's called us to be unaffected or indifferent. I think he's called us to be responsive, to be a culture where we show up. And if we believe, and I believe this is true, if we are a church that God has revealed his spirit to and his power, and if you are a people, and I believe you are, that God has revealed these things to, then what happens is we show up on Sunday and we respond. We respond in worship. And so what I'm asking you today as we close out is I'm asking you not to think about what's next what you're going to eat or the football game today, I'm asking you for five minutes to respond to God. If those things are true, if he is powerful, healer, savior, redeemer, holy father, sustainer, then I'm asking you to take a step not to be emotionally driven, but also not to be unaffected or stoic in the way that we respond to God. So for some of you, that first step might be you've never sang before. I'm not asking you to get to the place overnight in your worship, but I am asking you today to take a step in your worship. I know some people who don't sing, they're not comfortable singing. Maybe today you sing for the first time. I know some of you, you sing, but you're at like a one or a two on the decibel level. Maybe today you bump it up to a four or five and you stop worrying about who's beside you and you start focusing on who he is. And when you sing, you think about the fact that he is healer, he is powerful, he is mighty. Some of you, you sing, but you never really engaged your body or your heart in worship. And maybe for you, it's just opening your hands as a symbol of, God, I'm just trying to focus on you and not be distracted by who's around. Or maybe for you, it's even lifting your hands. You know, I find it interesting that I will go to sports games, and when the team scores a winning touchdown or someone does a slam dunk or the final goal is scored, I will throw my hands up and I will praise. At weddings and graduations, I will throw my hands up. And if I will do that, how much more is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords worthy of my response? It's not emotionally driven. It's not indifferent. It's responsive. If we are the people that God has revealed his power, his word, if he has revealed himself, let's be people on Sundays who show up and respond to God and worship him. Amen? So I'm going to ask you to stand right now just for the next five minutes as we close. And I'm going to ask you just to sing and respond however God is leading you in these next few minutes. As always, if you need prayer, we have people come prayed up every single week. They would love to pray for you. We all have prayer counselors down here in the front. Let me just pray over our morning. God, we thank you that we can know you by a thousand names. God, we pray that we would be people who would get our eyes on you. And as our eyes are fixed on you, that you would increase our peace and our joy and our gentleness and our kindness. God, we just pray that you would help us become people of prayer become a people who worship differently as we fix our eyes on you. So we just ask that you would do that. We pray that we would encounter you each and every day, that we would know you as a good father, but we would know you as powerful and mighty 
And may that change the way we operate. May that change the way we show up on Sundays. May that change the way that we spend time with you each and every day. Because when those things are true, God, it's a game changer. So we just pray over this time. We pray that you would be exalted. We pray our worship would be a pleasing aroma to you. We love you, King Jesus. We thank you for all that you're doing. It's in your mighty, wonderful, amazing name we pray. Everyone greet and said, amen. You guys are dismissed. Have a great one. Creating a list that includes names, titles, and metaphors of God can be a meaningful spiritual activity. Take time this week to reflect on the attributes of God and express gratitude for the ways He has impacted your life. Incorporate this practice into your daily routine with the help of the Daily Devotional, which can be conveniently accessed through the new Brookwood Church app. If you prefer physical copies, booklets can be obtained from the receptionist during the week in our church office or from the information desk during the church services. We are grateful for your dedication in tuning in to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast today. Please take time to leave a review as your feedback can significantly assist in others discovering the potential of a transformative life through Christ. Thanks for listening with us today, and we eagerly anticipate you being with us for our upcoming episode.